Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addictive Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Our guest today is Cheryl Brown Merriweather. She is a return guest. Cheryl Brown Merriweather brings over two decades of experience in corporate HR management at AT&T, addiction recovery awareness, and adult education to the International Center for Addiction and Recovery Education, ICARE. As VP and Executive Director, she oversees and directs the administration, operations, and student support services for iCare's three divisions, Strategic Sobriety Workforce Solutions, International Association of Professional Recovery Coaches, and Net Institute. And today, Cheryl is going to talk about the situation we face in our world around addiction and the workforce and how we really need to be able to bring these services into the workplace and make workplaces recovery friendly and recovery ready. And she's going to talk about what is going on from a institutional level and government level of all the exciting stuff that is happening to help people find recovery and support people who are struggling with a substance use disorder. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. And if you're getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help the podcast get found. And click the subscribe button so you can get the latest podcast in your feed as well. And follow us on Instagram at Addicted Mind Podcast. All right, everyone, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to The Addicted Mind. My guest today is Sherry Brown Merriweather, a return guest, actually. And so I'm excited to talk to you again because you, as we were talking before we even started, you've got some amazing news about recovery 
in the workspace, which is your specialty, dealing with human resources and helping people, yeah, in the workspace, get the support they need for recovery. So let's just jump in, Cheryl, and let's just start talking. Introduce yourself again so people who haven't heard the other episode can 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 know you a little bit, and then we're going to jump in. Okay, thank you so much for inviting me back. I feel special, and you are correct. There's a lot of interesting and exciting news hot off the press. So before we get to that, as requested, I'll tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do for your your community that may not have heard the other podcast. So my name is Cheryl Brown Merriweather. I live in Orlando, Florida, and I am I wear a couple of different hats. So my day job, if you will, is I am the executive director, actually vice president and executive director of an organization called iCare. iCare is the International Center for Addiction and Recovery Education. And since that's such a mouthful, we just kind of abbreviate it and say that we are iCare. And iCare provides training and workforce development for people who work in the field of substance use disorder, behavioral health, with a particular emphasis on addiction, misuse, recovery, support, those types of roles in the workplace. The other part of what I do is I am an HR practitioner with more than 25 years of experience working in corporations, in management, and in human resources. I am now the past president of one of SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resource Management. They have affiliate chapters, Dwayne, all over the country. And here in Central Florida, in the Orlando area, we have our affiliate is called Go SHRM. So we represent more than 600 local employers with wow. providing support for their HR community, their teams, their practitioners, and related folks like health and wellness or benefits folks who like to get to those HR folks, you know, and say, we've got cool stuff we can sell you. So it really is an amazing combination, if you will, for me. So I wear two hats. I can speak to people about clinical and non-clinical support and services for people struggling with substance misuse, addiction, and recovery. But I can also speak the language of the work place for human resources and safety and health and wellness and benefit folks. So who knew that all of that that I've kind of navigated through over the course of my professional career would come together for such a time as this to really position me to help folks to become aware of some of the exciting things happening in the workspace with regard to these issues, COVID kind of shined a spotlight, if you will, on these issues. And there is tremendous interest in supporting folks in the workplace around these issues. So that's what we're here to talk about some more today, I think. All right. So let's jump in because I, I think this is a really important topic when we're, we're talking about helping people who are struggling with an addiction. Tell us a little bit about, like, like you said, it shined a light on on this and our current healthcare system and maybe a little bit like what's not working about it right now so we can look at like some of the hopeful things that are coming down the road. Mm -hmm. 
So we're starting with the bad news first. That's what I, I guess I so. <laughs> I guess so. Well, I want to put context into this to, yeah. to understand like some of the, I guess the weaknesses in our, in our yeah. behavioral healthcare system and, yeah. and how, you know, I think some people unfortunately are left behind where they could get support. And if they had the yeah. support, they would be thriving. So you bet. Well, more than a few folks are struggling right now, and there's so many barriers. But again, we're I just want to preface this with there is good news coming, right? We don't want to. We're going to get to the good out. news. Yes, we are. So behavioral health, let's look at the industry. It is part of the healthcare industry under the umbrella. There's this area called behavioral health, and behavioral health looks at a couple of different things. I tell people it's like two sides of the same coin on on one side, you have mental health services, and on the other side, you have specialized treatment for substance misuse, addiction, and long-term support for folks in recovery. And together, they fall under the umbrella heading of behavioral health. And that's because there's so much overlap, right, where you have people struggling with mental health. About 50% of those folks also struggle with substance misuse or addiction and vice versa. Whichever door they come through, many of them, about 50%, find their way into to what is sometimes called dual diagnosis, where they need to be treated by professionals on, from both spectrums. And that system is sadly overwhelmed and has been much more so since the pandemic. And I just to kind of frame it properly, I like to refer to to government sources. And I tell people, just Google this letter that was written by the American Hospital Association to both houses of Congress at the federal level in December of last year, where they basically framed it in a two-page letter that said the system is broken. The system is overwhelmed. We are in desperate need of more service providers and caregivers. The physicians are overwhelmed. They're, the nurses are struggling. They, there are not enough folks in the field doing this work to meet the need that has now arisen in this post-pandemic world. And they were desperately seeking the support of the federal government to help provide resources to meet that need. It takes a long time for people to go through education, master, right, bachelor's, yeah. master's degree level, and they have to, you know, get thousands of hours of, of experience working in the field under supervision, and they have to sit for state exams. And, and there's a serious burnout factor for the folks that are working as professional clinical practitioners. And, you know, so you have a, a lot of them dropping out of the workforce. In rural areas, you have just, I could almost say millions of people, the letter quotes some very startling numbers, statistics, but there are millions of people in this country who do not have access geographically to care providers. And if you can find a care provider, well, some of them are no longer taking new patients. Some of them right, have yeah. very long waiting lists. And then, you know, that's the matching. You know, you may... If you are fortunate to have insurance, if you are fortunate to have access to 
perhaps a limited number of visits through your EAP program. Now, keep in mind, everybody doesn't have insurance benefits and everyone does not have EAP access, even if they are working. But if you are so fortunate as to get a an appointment with someone, it may not be a good match for you. And so there's just so many barriers in the cost. I believe before the pandemic, there was a, a statistic, maybe one in 10 people who actually needed treatment were able to get it. And I imagine in this post-pandemic environment, those numbers are far worse. So it's a dire situation in terms of getting professional clinical support for individuals struggling with behavioral health issues. And that is the bad news. Yeah, and that's that's really hard. I mean, it can be so hard for someone to find a psychiatrist when they're in crisis or to find a, a therapist that actually has room for more clients. I mean, it, it really is difficult. And all these professionals are taxed and, uh, you know, they're working so hard. And like you said, it takes a long time to train someone to to be able to do this and, and stuff. Yeah. So those are kind of like disheartening numbers kind of like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is, we really got to do something here as a society to, to help all these people who with the right support can thrive, but we got to get it to them. Yeah. But you know, and I don't know the symbol, but there's a, a crisis symbol, I believe somewhere that basically describes not only the challenge, but the opportunity. So desperate times call for innovation, I like to say. And there are so many amazing things that are happening to kind of, you know, create a new workforce, if you will, of individuals who are trained and certified, willing and able to step up and say, I'm here, you know, use me. It's kind of like the war is raging all around me and people are raising their hands and say, what can I do to help? And there are so many individuals and so many organizations that are working together now to create innovative solutions to address this problem. Before we get into some of those, I just want to help people kind of understand what is called in clinical terms, Dwayne, the continuum of care. So if you think about like a hemisphere, a semicircle, well, with this disease of substance use disorder, which is, you know, the way we've refer to that now in terms of using appropriate language to destigmatize this very scary disease that people may struggle with. Well, you know, the typical thing with respect to the workplace is to wait until someone has a crisis situation and then we engage, right? We they crash a forklift, they do something outrageous as, at a holiday party, and or someone discovers there's some medication that is missing and, you know, there's an investigation and we zero in on the individual that has a challenge or a problem or needs attention. So at that point, when we engage with MHR, folks do may do a couple of different things. We investigate. Sometimes, sadly, folks lose their employment as a result of these things. But again, if there's solutions around insurance or EAP services, then we will often refer folks to access those services. But those really fall under the umbrella of treatment. 
And in this new exciting environment, we've already established the treatment system is overwhelmed. So what can we do to engage people before they, my words, crash and burn? And there's an entire half of that hemisphere that is devoted to adult prevention. And that's really where a lot of these new innovative solutions are being introduced in the workplace. It's like, what can we do almost as an intervention, if you will, to, to raise awareness and to provide folks access to, you know, whether they are peers, other individuals who can assist them and support them, maybe resources in the local community. There are just so many new and exciting initiatives at the federal government, state government, local levels that are trying to equip individuals in the workplace through some of these innovative solutions to support the workforce to complement and if you will, and supplement the HR folks, because the HR folks are really very challenged with a lot of other challenges these days. And some of them also, you know, may be falling under this category of suffering from burnout. And it's like we could really use some help. So there are initiatives out there that I hope we have the opportunity to talk about. Recovery ready workplaces, recovery friendly workplaces, sober curious. We've mentioned some of those in the past, but there's a lot. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about that because that, that's exciting. Because I think that says, like, you know, making recovery normal, normalizing recovery. Like, I mean, the reality is, is addiction is an, is an epidemic. You know, yeah. so many people struggle with addiction. That's the reality of it. So if you have a workforce, you have people in your workforce that are probably struggling with addiction. And if you offer them support, you you avoid all that crash and burn, right? You, yes, you know, sir. and so this is exciting. And and some of these things, you know, recovery friendly, sober curious. I mean, I, I, I love that stuff because it normalizes it for people to get support before, you know, they just, you know, their shame keeps them from reaching out and then they get to a point where they crash and burn and that's awful. And it doesn't need to happen all the time. Yes. Yeah. But you know, it, and and I get in trouble sometimes for telling the truth. And, and, you know, we're friends, so we can be very transparent with one another. People in recovery tend to be very honest and transparent individuals as well. But, you know, it just has been the topic that no one wanted to talk about in yeah. the workplace because this is a problem that affects so many, if not me personally. I know someone, probably more than 50% of people know someone in their family or a coworker or a neighbor or you know a friend who struggles with these issues and there's just so much misunderstanding around it and so much confusion and you mentioned it so much shame the stigma is just like a blanket it just covers and and causes people to hide in the dark even in plain sight right yep. we may be there but we are behind a mask and we don't dare say anything about this out loud, especially in the workplace when, you know, the the costs are so great. No one, especially always at any time, is is looking forward to losing their employment. But around issues like this, it can really be a matter of life and death sometimes. Imagine if you 
are on the front line in a very high risk role where people depend upon you. And if you're struggling, first responders come to mind when we talk about this classification of employees. Well, no one wants to know that their partner or their peer is struggling with stress, much less misuse of substances. So no one talks about this thing. But recognizing that, because this is not new news, again, so many new and innovative collaborations and and cooperations are being established with just amazing solutions from people who care. At the end of the day, it's just about, and it's funny, our organization is called I Care, but so much of this work is being framed under the empathy umbrella. It's like, if we can find people who care about this, then those are the people who will engage engage around this, who will lead these initiatives, whether they are peers or whether they are allies or just, you know, a friend and a family member and a neighbor of someone that's suffering and hurting, or we've lost someone to some of these things. So I I think it's reached the boiling point, if you will, where now we have at the highest levels of government and in the corporate space, leadership, leadership. As an HR practitioner, we say nothing happens without the support of leaders. And now we have leaders at the federal level and the state level. I'm talking about, you know, from the White House to the governor's mansions around the country to the chambers of commerce in the business community to every organization that has an interest in supporting hurting people. They're all coming together and with framework that allows us to have structure and gain efficiency and be effective and have an impact in a relatively speaking short amount of time, which is what is needed when there's a crisis. And we are definitely in a crisis right now. All right. So let's start talking about some of the good news and let's start talking about how these issues are being addressed in some in some new and innovative ways. Okay. So, you know, and again, this is kind of not new news, but the structure and the framework for these issues has been kind of ev- being uncovered and revealed since the pandemic. I like to, in the work that I do, not to bore people with data and stats. So I tend to refer people to places where they can go and review the data and stats for themselves. So one of the things I I like to point to as kind of a Starting a point, if you're interested in this, is a the Surgeon General, the U.S. Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, created in October of 2022 a framework for mental health and well-being in the workplace. So that was really awesome because it. You've heard me say already, mental health is a broad umbrella, if you will. And under there, that's where you see things like stress, anxiety, depression, but you also see substance use disorder being talked about. So this amazing framework that he released in October 2022 
talked about the workplace, right? Things like the need to create psychological safety in the workplace where people feel safe, the, to create a community in the workplace and all of these things. So it's Again, a fabulous document that said to those of us who work in behavioral health that the federal government is paying attention to these issues. I mean, I believe you can find another one that he released around loneliness. Loneliness is terribly destructive and chronic and harmful that, again, contributes to these mental health issues that folks are struggling with (laughs) at unprecedented levels. So then fast forward a little bit and This one just made my day. The White House, through their Office of National Drug Control Policy, made an announcement just earlier this month, actually, in November of this year, 2023, that they were joining with Governor Sununu, who is the governor of New Hampshire, to, you know, release guidance and a call to action for employers and state governments to, you know, strengthen their response to address the opioid epidemic. And when you talk about opioid epidemics, you talk about all of the other types of addictions that people struggle with. But they did this, Dwayne, under really the heading of bringing together two initiatives. So at the federal government level, they have what is called a recovery ready workplace initiative, which basically encourages employers to focus on supporting employees in recovery. And they've talked about that for a long time. They've got websites out there. But one of the things that they lacked were tools, if you will. How do you do that? It's a wonderful thing. It's a worthy goal. But how do we do that? So they have been pulling together a toolkit to guide, provide guidance for employers. And so that was part of this announcement as well. Not only do we encourage employers to focus on these issues, but I believe they launched through that website in partnership. I believe it's under the U.S. the Department of Labor. You can find it. It's a 140-page toolkit that wow. explains the how a company can or community can work together to create recovery-ready workplaces. But it gets better. It gets. Well, better. I, I just want to say the first thing I'm saying is is that's amazing because it it addresses that first problem. We're not talking about it, and. Here we are, you know, like you said, the leadership is actually going to give it a voice and talk about this as, as a topic and bring it to the forefront, which is, that is really exciting, right? That just yes. in and of itself is saying, here, here it is. We're going to address it. We're going to and, give it a voice and we're going to talk about it. And they put some money behind it. You know, it's yeah. one thing to talk about it and set a goal. We support this. We believe in this. We want you to go and do this. And even here's a how-to, but they're actually putting money 
at the federal level to support the development of systems. I'm a system kind of person. If you have systems, then people can have that framework. I use that word again and know where to go to access resources and those types of things. So that was the first part. But you also heard me mention Governor Sununu and the Recovery Friendly Initiative that was started in New Hampshire. So they have now married the two together. So a little bit about recovery friendly. Governor Sununu started it. It basically, now this is state level, not federal. They had been somewhat operating independently of one another. The federal government set a goal and created a wonderful website, but you know, at Initially, that's about as far as they went in terms of telling you what to do and why it's valuable and those sorts of things. But what Governor Sununu's team did was create a community of practice nationwide that began to provide structure and support at the state level for any state that wanted to provide support to their workforces or corporations or business communities within a respective state. And that has grown somewhat exponentially. There are now more than 30 states who actually follow a recommended protocol to designate companies or organizations within their state as recovery-friendly workplaces, the initiatives that they were proposing, basically, again, it's a community of practice. So people would say, well, in my state, we're doing this. We're partnering with the chambers of commerce, and we've got 50 companies committed to create a recovery-friendly workplace, and we've got our own toolkits that we've created and we share. So the community of practice was working together to share best practices among ourselves. So what has happened now is there's been a marriage. The Recovery Ready initiatives from the federal government have joined together with the Recovery Friendly community of practice that was established as a result of the initial actions coming out of New Hampshire. And again, remember I said there's some money that the federal government is putting behind this. So what will be launched in the new year, 2024, will be a national institute to support recovery-friendly workplaces nationwide. That is exciting. That is incredibly exciting, and that is hot off the press. I really, this has all happened and been announced formally since November, and it's just like, yay, team. Yeah, and that's what, you know, business owners need, and especially, you know, maybe smaller business owners that are already, you know, like running a small business is so hard as it is to think about having to come in and create a recovery-friendly workforce and, and space and everything and not having the tools and maybe the person themselves aren't 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 involved in recovery, don't even know what questions to ask, to have a toolkit that says, here, we're going to make it really easy for you. Here's best practices. Here's Here's the resources. Here's the toolkit. Here you go. And that makes it easy for employers to like implement this stuff. That, that is really exciting. 
oh, there's so much creativity and synergy and momentum behind it. They're, they're talking about providing tax credits and tax incentives to businesses, and they're creating certifications so that a business can designate its, you know, meet certain criteria and be designated as a recovery-friendly workplace. And that, of course, has a bottom-line impact to a business, right? They can promote them themselves as an employer of choice for individuals who may struggle with finding employment because they have a history of, you know, substance misuse, addiction, recovery. Those things have often created barriers for people yeah. and restricted their ability to find employment. And so part of a company becoming a designated or certified recovery-friendly workplace, if you will, is that they are actively implementing programs which would support and encourage their current employees to obtain the support that they need with the blessing of the company, but also they would be looking to hire employees because we do in many industries have a shortage of a talented workforce, right? And so we need all hands on deck just to do the work. And you have a wonderful pool of talented people who have done the work to rebuild their lives. People in yeah. recovery are some of the most incredible individuals committed to building their own lives and supporting the workplaces and the communities that they live within. So this is why this brings all of these things together under a, and a framework and a structure with tools and resources and, and training. Isn't and it? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this part. If you if you have a recovery friendly environment, right? Like mm -hmm. that, this is recovery. That's where you you know you can bring in the recovery peer support. Right. That you, you, you had talked about as well. Yeah. You know, it's like if, if, if a person who's in recovery and yes. has successful recovery knows that the workplace is friendly to recovery there, you know, I think part of if you're in recovery, you want to give back to other people. You, you want to help other people. And if you're in a, in a, in a workspace that has that kind of environment, you got that peer support. And I mean, it's just so exciting. We know peers work, right? The peer yeah. movement has been around since, oh my gosh, I'm, I was not here in 1935 when Bill created Alcoholics Anonymous. But, you know, you can go back to the 30s and see the power of peer groups, right? To yeah. help individuals find their way into recovery and to help them sustain their long-term recovery and, you know, navigate life. So from Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups, I mean, there's so many 12-step groups out there, but, you know, those types of things were never part of the workplace environment right. before. And now those barriers are being broken down. And I think you, I may have mentioned on our prior call about the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that some companies are using as a framework to introduce these types of groups in their workplace. Now, depending upon where you live or what's going on in the political environment, sometimes DE&I is, is not, you know, something 
something you want to talk about. It's getting a bad label. But but let's get to what that really means. And you can call it, I tell people, call it whatever you want to call it. But just uh, bring together people for whom this is their thing, right? So peers are the, the hallmark, if you will, of the peer movement is that these are individuals who have lived experience. You hear this term used a lot in the mental health environment. NAMI, for example, the the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they are famous for individuals that are affiliated with them saying, let me tell you my story. I am an individual who has personal lived experience in navigating mental health services and these issues either personally again or within my family, but it's that the power of the lived experience and that I can share with others. Well, that is, again, in complete alignment with the 12-step programs that exist. We are individuals who know about this, who've experienced, who can tell you how to navigate that, how to reach out and access resources. And as we often say, these folks are in the workplace. They're there. And when we talk about these issues, we say, if you just create a little psychological safety, just enough so that people know that they would be supported to step up and say, I can help with these things, then that is what is opening the door for these peer initiatives to move into the workplace. I I believe as long as we live, it will be a challenge for many people to go through the HR department. It, yeah. it just does not feel safe, but people will reach out to a peer. They will reach out to a coworker. They will attend a, a lunch and learn or a webinar that's led by someone, either one of their fellow associates, or ideally we want to get the managers and leaders involved. To, and when you create these programs, you will sometimes be amazed at how many of the senior managers will step forward and say, I know a little bit about this. I have personal experience about this. And these things, I tell my HR colleagues, I said, these things don't cost money. You know, that's one of the barriers that people often say is we don't have the money for this or we don't have the money for that. These things don't cost money. They just require people with that caring heart, that passion. And even if individuals do not have personal lived experience, that's where we reach out and connect with allies. Yeah. And if people are, are, yeah. And if it's safe, people will want to help. And if it's safe for them to help, they will. One of the other things you talked about is, uh, you know, companies offering certified professional recovery coaches as Mm -hmm. an employee benefit, you know, in addition to clinical care. But, you know, let's talk about that because once again, we're talking about like the resources for help is so strained. How can like, yeah, professional recovery coaches help do that? Well, thank you for asking about that. And people may not exactly know what professional recovery coaches are, And I will qualify that by saying 
there are, Dwayne, in the clinical space, depending upon the state in which you live, there are sometimes clinical roles that go by different names. So I sometimes have to help people understand this because they may live in a state where they have gone through a program. For example, CCAR out of Connecticut trains recovery coaches. And that is a wonderful program that they have expanded nationwide. And many of those recovery coaches are what of another state may call a recovery support professional. So semantics, you know, what people call things in different states can mean different things. So some recovery coaches are already working with insurance companies, with um, treatment providers, because they've gone through a program and become licensed, if you will, certified as a recovery coach in their state, and they are working in that role in support of clinical services and treatment. What we call professional recovery coaches are not operating within the clinical environment. Our coaches are working under the coaching industry umbrella. And that's exciting because in the workplace, Well, we already have coaches that work in support of the workplace. Sometimes we have life coaches. We have executive coaches. We may have health and wellness coaches. And those individuals are already established and already supported in the workplace. They may be paid for through an insurance benefit. Health and wellness coaches sometimes are paid for in part through an EAP service, but they're how do companies pay for an executive coach? A lot of those coaches are contracted individually to provide services in support of high value employees. So when we train at iCare, when we train and certify professional recovery coaches, our coaches are non clinical coaches who work under the coaching industry umbrella. They have been trained and certified by our division, the International Association of Professional Recovery Coaches. They have learned the best practices of both the clinical world and the coaching world. And they go through a very extensive training program. It can last up to a year or 18 months, depending upon their background. But they come through that program with skills and competencies, which allow them to support individuals in the workplace. And most of them, while some do get associated with some of those clinical partners that I mentioned to you as an extension of their workforce, many more of them are solopreneurs. They're self-employed. They go out in their local communities. Many of them are employees within a company and they let it be known. I can provide support to you, my current employer, by helping in this way 
Others, again, go out and promote themselves as say, this is who I am. I'm qualified, certified. I can provide a service for you. And they negotiate the terms of contracts and they have established very successful professional recovery coaching practices. So it is a new role. It is an evolving role. And many people are calling me saying, how soon can we contract with your coaches? Because in this new era, again, there's so many innovative solutions. People are looking for technological solutions to yep. fill the gap, right? I've got an app for this, or or you can call an 800 number and someone will be there to support you. But Coaching is something that many people need ongoing support on a regular basis with an individual that they have an established relationship with over time, that one-on-one -on -one accountability, if you will, as wonderful as the groups are. And many yeah, of our coaches and, and do And the ability to groups. have practical steps, you know, like practical goals that they can reach for. You know, the person who, you know, a recovery coach is great for someone who's sober curious and they yes. can set out some some yes. goals and and track those goals and and see, you know, like get that accountability and what's working, what's not working and 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 get that, you know, I think we all do better with support, right? We That's all do better do. with support and having someone on your side who yeah. has the training to help the goals. I think it's going to be really just it's beneficial and it helps everybody. And that's exciting. And the confidentiality. I mean, let's yeah, face yeah. it. If you're a high value employee for your employer and we've already established they may or may not be comfortable going through their HR. But if sure. the HR hat says we have access to certified professional recovery coaches that we know are qualified, capable, that we have engaged to provide mm -hmm. support for you. Who would not take advantage of those services? So that's the work that we're doing now and letting people know there is an additional workforce out there of individuals who want to do this. Many of them, most of them, have the lived experience that we spoke of, but they also have gone through extensive training programs to become certified to do this work. And we just have to help people know that this is possible, both from the employer side who wants to reach mm -hmm. out and connect and contract with the coaches, but also for people who feel this is their mission or their calling. It's like, my gosh, I didn't know that I could take something that was so devastating in my life that I have now found my way into this new life of recovery that I can turn around and use that to help somebody. And oh, by the way, I can make some money while I'm doing it. You know, it's yeah. a very attractive new career option for many people starting part time, most of them to build up their skills and their clientele and then moving into many of them have moved into full time roles performing in that capacity. That's Cheryl, that's that's awesome. I, I love it, and and I love that you're advocating for this work and bringing this to the to the workplace, which is a, is it's just a you know it's a it's a major area to reach people and make everybody's lives better. 
And I really think it's a community. Maybe, you know, at one point, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't need to be anonymous because the st stigma isn't there anymore. It's just another issue that people face. Maybe we'll get there one day, you know, yeah. but I just want to, once again, thank you for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. If there's anything else, one more thing you want to say or tell people out there, what would you want them to know? Or maybe an employer out there who's listening to this podcast and what would you want to tell them? Well, just it's like if you decide you want a certain type of car, when you start looking around, guess what? You might start to see them popping up all around you. Now, they've been around you all along, but you weren't really focused. You weren't really you didn't have your you know attention to hone in on that particular type of car so but once you make up your mind this is something i want to do start paying attention then the things will pop up all around you well that's what's happening here now with this issue i mean on every spectrum whether if you're a statistics person there are people who are gathering data because in the workplace particularly folks are asking some really good tough questions. They're asking about return on investment. They're asking about evidence-based outcomes. You know, if you're an insurance company and you're looking at, well, do we want to add these services? You know, but do you have any ROI yeah. data, any evidence-based outcomes? So there are organizations that are doing the work to gather the data, to have the evidence. They're writing peer-reviewed journals and studies and things. So if that's your thing, reach out to me. I can connect you with those folks. There are organizations working on specialty types of addiction. There are folks working with just opioids, others working with cannabis, others working with alcohol. There's a group that's working with different demographic groups. Some folks are working with veterans. Some people are working with youth. Some people are working with housewives. I mean, there's something out there for everyone and the coalitions are forming in those communities at the state level online. So I happen to kind of be really into connecting people. So if your listeners within your community have a particular interest, you know, I'm, I'm a veteran or I have someone in my family struggling with opioids, I may not be able to personally help you, but I can connect people with you who can because these networks, these coalitions, these communities are forming. And this is the time to engage around these. Again, at the workplace level, at the community level, there's so many resources already there. And what is happening now is because of these initiatives at the federal and state level. They're being organized. They're being gathered together. They're using the t amazing technology that exists to connect people so that they can quickly become efficient and effective in the work that they're doing in collaboration with others. So it just is a time. This is the time we have worked for decades to how do we get the workplace involved? How do we break these barriers in the workplace? And as terrible and destructive and devastating as the pandemic has been, on the other side of that now, there really are silver linings. And the silver linings is that everyone is willing to work together and talk about it and create innovative solutions to solve these problems. And 
We just can do it when we work together, and I'd be happy to help folks get connected with other folks wherever they live or whatever their interest is. They can just reach out and connect with me. Where can they do that? Share that information. Okay. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Cheryl Brown, Merriweather on LinkedIn, or send me an email, Cheryl at iCare-Aware.org. I'll repeat, Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L at iCare-Aware.org. And again, it's just a credit to the amazing individuals that I work with and have had the pleasure of meeting nationwide and internationally even. So many of our folks, we have trained and certified, Wayne, professional recovery coaches from 41 nations. Wow, that is amazing. Nations. That is amazing. And growing. The power of the internet. Our programs are online, largely self-directed, but we do bring people together in groups to learn the skills, learn and practice the skills. But again, our programs are nationally and internationally recognized in multiple industries, health and wellness, human resources, the International Coaching Federation on the clinical side, organizations like NADAC. Again, we're partnering with NAMI, the mental health folks. So whichever door folks may be coming from, whether it's a, a an industry in the workplace, you know, there are groups that just support the hospitality industry or construction industry. We've got someone in that industry that you can reach out and connect with who can help you take the first steps in changing, changing your workplace through one highly motivated, caring individual who wants to make a lasting difference and save lives. At the end of the day, that's what this is all about. We're trying to save lives. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, everybody knows I'm going to put all the links at theaddictedmind.com in the show notes so you can go there too and, and, and get those. Cheryl, thank you for coming on and just sharing all of your knowledge about this and I, I want to say your optimism and your hope and your willingness to help people. I, I just love it. Well, thank you again for inviting me and giving us a platform and a voice to people who are voiceless or before may have been without a voice, but they're there and they're coming out and they're saying, include me. I want to be included. I want to make a difference. And with the pro- proper training and support, they really are doing it. And That's why I'm optimistic. I mean, you know, it it really is a new day, new beginnings, uh, and we are making it happen together. So thank you for having me again. I do appreciate your willingness to support your community with this information. I hope it's been helpful. hope it's been valuable. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. 
So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind Podcast. As usual, all the links will be in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and click the subscribe button in whatever podcast app you use. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.